0: The scripture reading for this morning is Ephesians 3:14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp Let's pray together as we go to the word. Our Father in heaven, I ask for each one here and for our church as a whole. That you would do the things that Kent just read from Ephesians. That you would strengthen us with power so that we can grasp what Christ has done for us. So we can know your love. So that now, 2,000 years later, Christ would be glorified in our church in the same way he was at Ephesus and in every church that loves you. I pray that you would increase our love as we listen to your word carefully this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active and powerful through this preaching of your word. And I ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a pivotal time for our church. And so I want to take a break from Luke, and it is also the holiday season, so we will complete Luke in January and early February. I would like to take two weeks to talk a little bit about where we are as a church, and it's my prayer that we would share a common vision that would enthusiastically unite us to move forward in the worship of God and the spread of the gospel. That we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit binding us together with love for God and love for each other and love for our community. And that together, we as a church would be faithful in our time. So I have one specific prayer request connected to that. I would really like to be able to preach next Sunday, which means our twins can be born any after that, but it would be nice if I had one more Sunday. That's maybe just my human wisdom, but I'm not kidding. If you could pray that I have one more week before they come, that would be awesome. Today, I want to preach a message from the book of Philippians about how the church ought to be united. And it's my prayer that whatever we think about the many different decisions that we have to make, about service times, about music that we use to worship the Lord together with, about our church budget, and if we need to cut in some areas, and if we need to continue spending in other areas, whatever your convictions about those things are, that we would be united together As a church, so that even in disagreement, we love God and love one another. That's the kind of unity that Paul prays for in the book of Philippians. And so I want to take a few moments and talk to you from this book because I believe that this is so foundational for every church and for our church. I want to pray through this passage with you once we've listened to it carefully. It is a hard thing to cast vision as a pastor. I believe that my main calling is to be devoted to the word of God and to prayer to study the Word so that I have accuracy, so that I'm not giving you human wisdom. I'm not giving you a, a list of stuff that corporate bigwigs think is smart and wise in our culture. I need to be dedicated and faithful to the Scriptures so that I can accurately preach and teach what they say. Paul tells a young pastor in both First and Second Timothy, Keep an eye on the teaching of your church and your conduct, for by doing so, you will save yourselves and your hearers. It's that serious that we know the word and know it well. The Apostle John began the letter of First John by telling his hearers that he and the other apostles proclaimed the truth about Jesus with this purpose we proclaim these things to you so that you can have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ that verse is so pivotal for how the church functions John is writing to people who never saw Jesus like you like me we were not alive when he was here and John says they proclaim what they heard and what they saw about Jesus so that you can have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is still how people are brought into fellowship with God as they hear what Jesus has done proclaimed in preaching. That's why preaching is so prominent in our worship because it's how people hear the good news and it's how they are brought in fellowship with the church and with God the Father. Many of you know what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the the truths of scripture are foundational. They do not change because God does not change. The power of the gospel to save sinners like me and like you does not change. We are united by the belief that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if you come to God as a sinner, that means you have a certain humility that binds you together with other sinners who are also just asking for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The mission of the church and our church is to preach that gospel, to baptize believers, and to make disciples. So that we not only have a group of people who have come to God for grace, but they become more and more like Jesus in the way they treat their wives and their children and their husbands and their grandchildren. The way they treat their neighbors. The way they treat each other within the church. Because the reality is, a saved sinner is not, in one sense, a saint yet. You can be forgiven and still have a whole host of nasty, awful habits. But by the grace of God, through the Word of God, we grow and change so that we no longer remain who we were, but we gradually become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. That's changing so that you become like Jesus. That mission does not change. And if a pastor's main call is to teach, both with words and with actions, I don't want to neglect what Paul said to Timothy about guarding his conduct. You can't be a hypocritical pastor, or the truth of the gospel is undermined. But if a pastor's main call is to teach, then as the church makes decisions about things that do change, it becomes very difficult. Because the leadership of the church and the congregation as a whole has to decide things that are not clearly commanded in Scripture. For example, things like service times. Things like musical styles. Things like children's church. Should we have children at the beginning of service and then dismiss them? Should we get them out of here as quickly as possible? Should we have them stay for the entire time? Those are not commanded in scripture. Wednesday night programming are our plans for how we disciple. Even how the leadership of the church is structured here. We as a congregation need to address some things. Some of those are not addressed in scripture at all. And some of them are not addressed in scripture clearly. In fact... Nowhere in Scripture is a church budget outlined. Within the New Testament, no church owned a building. So as we look at our church budget and our plan for the coming year, we need to make plans, and the truth is that Scripture is silent when it comes to many of the decisions that we have to make. And that means, as a pastor... I want to be faithful in casting vision, but I cannot stand in front of you and tell you, from the word of God, we must have our service at 1030. I can't do that. It would be wrong for me to try to use the Bible to support my specific vision. Whether it is continuing a budget that we passed, or whether it's making cuts in some specific areas that maybe are not popular, I don't have scriptural authority to make those kinds of decisions. The Bible does not say you have to have Sunday school at 9 and main service at 10.30 with Awana on Wednesday nights. The New Testament doesn't even say what day of the week we should worship on. And where scripture is silent, we have an enormous amount of freedom. But here is what I want to stress this morning. God is not silent about how we make those decisions. And so I want to show you from the book of Philippians. Something that I believe should guide us and govern us. As we as a congregation move forward in a time of transition and change. So I want to urge you to find the book of Philippians. It's a little bit later in the Bible, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's after Romans and First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. If you struggle to find it, you can use the index in the front of your Bible. Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 9 through 11, and then carefully and slowly go through them And say some things that I think ought to help us as a church. Verse 9, Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Everything in that short prayer is just that. It's prayer. It recognizes that unless God does in a work, none of these things will happen. The church will not be united in love. We will not make our decisions based on knowledge with discernment. We will do nothing well. And we will certainly not be pure and blameless for the day of Christ or filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ unless we are wholly dependent on God. And we depend on God by calling out to Him in prayer. That's why we make prayer part of this service. That's why we pray together throughout the week. Unless the Holy Spirit does a work in us, we cannot do the work that Christ Jesus has called us to do. But Paul prays for a few things very specifically, in a very careful order, and he starts with love. And so I would ask that as we move forward, you also would be faithful to pray for the love of the church. Everyone can tell you stories about hypocritical Christians There was another one in the news just in the past week, in a big way, failed in a huge moral way. And some of the people that he hurt said, I just can't even consider myself a Christian anymore because this Christian man that I thought I could trust took advantage of me. Everybody knows those stories. Every church wrestles with its own hypocrisy to some extent. So we need first to pray that our love would abound more and more. Pray that we together would receive the love of God like Paul prayed in Ephesians. That as we come to worship, the only way that you focus your heart to worship the Father is when you've been filled with His love and you know what He's done for you. When you're persuaded that God is good and that He loves you. It changes who you are and it changes everything about how you relate to the church and your neighbors and the people around you. It's a matter of prayer because it's possible for our love to grow cold. But it's also possible by the grace of God for our love to abound more and more and more. Love is not tested when we agree. Love is tested when we disagree. And the greatest evidence of love is when two Christians disagree and they still worship together. Because they know the love of God. So it's my prayer, and I would ask literally, save your bulletin, save this outline, put a bookmark in Philippians, literally, pray these things for our church. It is urgent. Pray that our love would abound more and more, first for the God who saved us, who loved us through Jesus on the cross, but also. That we would not just experience the love of God individually, but that it would pour over. And that our whole church would have a love that abounds more and more. We love because he first loved us. I mentioned the Apostle John earlier. He, He writes that our love comes as a result of what God has done. And we know that God loves us because he sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's love. And John continues, if anyone says he loves God, he must also love his brother. We heard from Ephesians how Paul prayed that the whole church would know the love of God. Let that be our prayer. Love helps us as we talk about budgets and music and service times. Because if I love you... I will put your needs above my own. And if you love me, you will put my needs above your own. And if all of us love Jesus, all of us will sacrifice our preferences for the sake of the mission that he has called us to. The church exists to preach the gospel baptize believers and make disciples. So even the desire of the people who are here needs to be laid at the feet of the people who are not for the sake of the gospel. Now that's not the same as saying that we have to chase non-Christians and how we conduct our services. That's not what I mean at all. In fact, I believe that a church service like this one is 1st for the God that we worship. And it ought to be something that mature believers are drawn into with a kind of depth that honors the Heavenly Father. But it also ought to be very easy for someone who's never been to church to understand what's happening and why we're doing what we're doing. If we love Jesus Christ, our mission... To baptize believers and make disciples will come before our personal preferences. Thinking about music and service times and budgets has to go back to our mission. The best way that we love each other and the best way that we love others is by being faithful to that mission. Skip to the end of this prayer for a second. I want, that's not an opinion. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in Philippians The purpose of this prayer is so that they would be pure and blameless. That means that they've been discipled. Immature Christians are not pure and blameless. Mature Christians are. Also, the goal is that they are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, they have put feet and hands to their faith, and they have produced good works that honor Jesus Christ through His power. That's the goal of this prayer. We need to make decisions as a church that help us proclaim the gospel, that help us tell the most non-Christians about Jesus, and that help us raise up disciples to maturity. We need to make those decisions not based on our own preferences, but based on love for God and love for others. And let me be clear, if we make dumb decisions, which is inevitable, we need to love each other by forgiving each other. And in fact, as we move to one service, I cannot predict the future, but I expect that it will not be perfectly smooth. If we love each other as we should... We will grow through the experience. I woke up two days ago, and this has been a stressful time. I woke up thinking of what James says. You should count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, when it has its perfect work, results in maturity. And so it's a good thing when you go through trying times, and it ought to actually produce joy in you when you recognize what God is doing. If we experience stress as a church, it can produce joy in us as we recognize what God is doing through us. Paul doesn't just pray for love, though. Love is the foundational piece because it will help us even when we disagree, but he also prays for two other things that are tied to each other. He prays for knowledge and discernment. Look again at verse 9. Love abounding more and more with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge is very broad. One of my favorite movies has this line it says, space is big. Which is the understatement of the universe. Knowledge is broad. I believe Paul is talking about a number of different types of knowledge and, and I can't even list them all because it's so broad. But, but part of it is personal knowledge of God. Part of it is knowledge of the scriptures so that we understand who he is and what our calling is. Part of it is knowledge of each other. You know, God didn't give me a book in the Bible to help me understand my wife as a specific person. I I can understand some things about her but there's no book of Lauren. I kind of wish there was but also at the same time I'm glad there's not. (laughs) Knowledge of each other helps us apply the truth of Scripture, to our context and our times. Knowledge of our church and its history, we have a huge blessing in about 70 years of well-documented history as a church. We can look back and see at least where our church was in relation to Holly, with how many people came here, the types of things that they did together, the kinds of vision that they cast for their missions committees, Knowing the history of our church can be so deeply helpful as we plan for the future. Knowing the history of the church and all of its history can be so helpful. Because you know what? No church is perfect. So we can't just look at our past and say, this is exactly what we must do. But by looking broadly at church history... We can fit our little church in its rightful context and help make wise decisions about maybe some things that we should not have done in the past and maybe some things that we've never done that we ought to try. Knowledge of church history is so precious. Knowledge of our community. What kind of people are we serving? Who are our neighbors? What kinds of things do they love? What kinds of things can we do to help them hear the gospel. We need many kinds of knowledge. And, and I want to just use one specific example. Let me talk about music for just a minute. But, but bear in mind, this applies to every decision that we have as a church. We need information. And not just information, we need discernment. But, but think for just a moment about music with me. Knowledge of the scriptures helps us decide what good song lyrics are. Because if the words are faithful and true to the scriptures, that's a huge step. That's why old songs like How Firm a Foundation endure, because not only are they great scriptural words, but poetically, it's just brilliant. It's also why I love new songs, like Yet Not I, But Christ in Me, which is so precious. And the song that we sang this morning, I didn't realize we were going to sing it again today, but... Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery It is so precious in terms of its biblical words. But knowledge of the Scripture and being able to assess lyrics is only part of thinking about if a song is good. I believe that the Scriptures show... A reference to a wide variety of music. Especially if you look through the Psalms, you see many different instruments referenced. Paul refers to Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you know Psalms literally are Psalms. They're using some ancient songs in the New Testament church. But you also find that the church is writing songs about Jesus that are new and fresh. And so they do have both a blend of very old things that they would have learned from their Jewish brothers and sisters and also new songs that would have been written in contemporary styles. And Paul instructs them to use all of them in their worship. It's evident that the early church had a diversity of music in its worship that I think ought to help us think about our need for a diversity of music In our church, we ought to be faithful to tradition like they were and draw on old things that are good. We should also seek new experiences that breathe fresh life into our worship so that tradition does not become dead. You know, once you've thought through an old song and recognized how precious and good it is, in one sense, you shut part of your brain off because you're not thinking about it critically anymore. You've already done that work. But when you hear a new song that you've never heard before, you have to again think, is this true of the scriptures? Is this true of the God I know? And and as you discover that, that it is, if we've done a good job in introducing an excellent new song to the church, your heart can be brought up into an experience it's never had before, and your worship can be made fresh because you hear something new that praises God in faithful, good, biblical language. That's just part of it. Knowledge of music also ought to guide our worship. Musical forms, musical traditions, some knowledge of traditional church music, but also an openness to new types of music. Because I believe that everywhere where Jesus is preached, the music that people love ought to be turned to praise God. And this should be fresh with every generation Every generation ought to praise God in the music of that generation. And if you love bluegrass, and think about Jerry who comes and, and sings special music sometimes, if you love that kind of folk tradition, that ought to be the way that you worship God, but it shouldn't be the only way that you worship God. If you love electric guitars, you ought to have the freedom to use them, but it shouldn't be the only way you can worship In the past couple of weeks and months, an artist named Kanye West very publicly said, I have become a Christian. He was baptized publicly. He said, I I am saved. I've never been a Christian in my life. Now I am. He's a hip-hop artist. He has been a controversial, loud hip-hop artist for 15 years at least, And he just produced an album called Jesus is King. It's got 85 references to the scriptures. He is no longer doing the music that he did before he came to Christ. He says it's gospel here on out. But you know the style that he uses? Very similar to what he's made for his whole life. He's a changed man and he's now using his artistic skill and ability to praise Jesus. And that is awesome. Knowledge of each other, knowledge of scripture, knowledge of music, knowledge of each other, should help us decide how we worship when we're together as a church. We ought to ask questions like, what type of music allows for the whole congregation to worship best? And if we long to be a growing congregation, we also ought to ask, what type of music allows people who've never been here before to worship best? And just as an example, I know that almost none of you like listening to hip-hop. So we will not be doing hip-hop in spite of the fact that I've heard one of our members has done some killer raps and special music. If we know each other well, and I know some of you love classical music, some of you I, I, some of you love classic rock, I was actually asked that on the search committee, they were greatly relieved when I could make some, some particular references to a few different bands. Some of you hate that kind of music. But if you love someone, you'll be willing to listen to their music because here's why it's not about them and it's not about the music, it's about worshiping Jesus. And even if it's not your favorite style, your heart should love to see Jesus worshipped because you love him too. And when you see someone else brought in weeping with a song that maybe doesn't minister to you, your heart should still be moved because someone else is worshipping and you love seeing that. But getting information about all these things is only half the battle. We need the discernment to know how to apply all of that information and knowledge. Discernment helps us make decisions together as a church. And I'm saying right now, publicly, we don't always have the discernment that we need. It's a matter of prayer. Pray for us and be patient with us. We need knowledge and we need discernment. We need to ask questions like, when does musical style make it easy to worship? And when does it become a distraction from worship? As an electric guitar player, I love electric guitar, and I think it can be an awesome tool. And yet, at times, it can also be a distraction from what we're supposed to do. You, you, for a moment, stop thinking about the Heavenly Father and go, whoa. And that's not what great worship is. A really well-written song ought to continue in thinking about the Father. The, The truth is the same thing can happen with pipe organs. Um, At Moody Church, where I worshiped for years, one of the elders was a a friend of ours. His name is Bill. Awesome and and hilarious guy. Bill hated the pipe organ, not because he hated classical music or hated traditional styles. He hated it because he said it was so loud it gave him a headache. And it made it so he couldn't worship. And he was an elder in the church. He's a mature man. And so he put up with it. But man, if he could change one thing, he said, I would at least turn it down. Different instruments can actually hinder our worship. Discernment helps us use them well. We need to ask questions like, what type of music makes it easy for new believers in Holly to worship? We're not just called to feed the saints, we're called to raise disciples. And so if I have an immature person from Holly come in wanting to worship and not knowing how, and our musical styles are more distracting than conductive to worship, we're not serving him well. And so we have to ask these questions. I was talking to a guy just a couple days ago. He's not a believer. I I told him, I said, something about Holly just kind of says rockabilly. And he laughed and said, yeah, I can see that. Let me know when your church does a rockabilly service. I'll be there. I don't think we're going to do that on Sunday morning. Maybe on a Friday night after we do the hymn sing. I I don't know. But being sensitive to where our culture is ought to help us make these decisions. And we need knowledge and discernment to make plans for this. I've only talked about music because it's contentious and because so many people have strongly felt opinions about it. We also need to make the same sorts of decisions about a budget. Should we pay a youth pastor? Should we keep him on full time? That's an issue of wisdom and discernment. It's exciting to see our youth group growing. It's exciting to see Wednesday nights going well. But I can't stand you and say, this verse says, this is what we should do with our budget. What I want to say to you is, pray that we love each other. Pray that we have knowledge and discernment. And then look at how he describes what the church ought to move towards. He says, pray for approving what is excellent. Look at verse 10. You need knowledge and discernment and love so that you may approve what is excellent in other words we don't want mediocrity in any area of our lives as christians or in our church we want everything we do to be the best not to build us up but ultimately for the glory and praise of god that's where this prayer ends excellence matters because we are serving an awesome god and so Pray that our knowledge and discernment moves us to a kind of wisdom that we recognize when we knock it out of the park to the glory of God and when we strike out and we need to do something different. This is maturity. This is unity. You, you know, as I grew up and before I went to college as a young man, there's some struggle with having to make some decisions like choosing your major and what should I study in college and what should I do? And and in some sense, there's a desire. You know, I wish somebody else would just make this decision for me because I don't know. But a good parent doesn't do that. A good parent trains his children so that they make wise decisions, recognizing that we as parents don't always know what's best. You want to raise a kid that recognizes what is excellent for them. And we as a church want to recognize what is excellent for us. We can't just imitate another church. We are not them. We need to recognize what is excellent here. And it's a matter of prayer. Pray that we have this heart to pursue real excellence. And then pray for fruit in in verse 11. Paul actually combines two things. He says, the purpose of praying for excellence is twofold. Not just that we would be fruitful, but also so that we would be pure and blameless. If we are half-hearted, if we don't strive for excellence, if we don't care about each other and love each other, if we don't seek the knowledge we need to make wise decisions, we will not be pure and blameless before Christ. I don't want to stand before Jesus and have regrets. I don't want to be guilty of being lazy in seeking knowledge and seeking excellence. By the grace of God, as we pray these prayers and God answers our prayers, I want to stand before him proud because I was a faithful minister and we were a faithful people. And together, we pursued real excellence for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that our kids grew up knowing the truths of scripture. So that our community knows the gospel and people become saved and they grow in the faith. That's the goal. Because it's not a question of, if we don't do this, we're okay. And if we do this, we're a little better. It's a question of, will we stand before Jesus with sin or will we stand before Jesus as saints? Paul's prayer is that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Fruit in the scripture always means at least two things. You can think of it, Jesus talks about a harvest of people coming to know God. You can think about it in terms of converts, when people are saved and people are baptized, and they are new believers. That's one kind of fruit. But the other kind of fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness. We can use this year as we wrestle with different things and disagree to grow in our love for each other. That's a fruit of the Spirit. If six months from now we love each other more, it means that God is doing this work in us and we can praise God for that kind of fruit. I believe that that depends in part on if we are seeking him in prayer as a church. Paul prays this thing for the Philippians because it's not a sure thing for their church and it's not a sure thing for our church. And so I want to go back to this passage again and again in my prayer life and urge you to do the same thing and urge you to pray with me in just a moment that God would do this work in us and in our church so that as we navigate difficult decisions in the coming months that we would be ready to meet Jesus and that there would be a fruit of righteousness produced in us that would lead to the praise and to the glory of God. Would you pray with me now? Father, as we come before you as your people, We want to confess that we don't always put others first as we should. We are called to be quick to listen and slow to speak and sometimes we're just the opposite. I ask for your forgiveness when we make plans without talking to other people. I pray for your help. Lord, I ask that you would work this miracle, that our love would abound more and more, that it would grow. That we would love each other more next week than we did when we came to church this week. I pray that you would give us the humility that learns, that seeks information. The wisdom to have discernment, to know how to apply it. I ask that you would help us serve you with real excellence so that we would be faithful to what you've called us to be as a church I pray that you would fill us with this fruit of righteousness that you would let us see people saved that you would let us mature and, that, and you would build up your church here at First Baptist of Holly I pray that we would look back on this time as a time where we were excited to serve you in unity and to do new things and fresh things. And I pray for your blessing and your power. I ask that you would lead us in a spirit of prayer as we move into the coming months, that we would be united in prayer and faithful in prayer so that we see you at work and so that when things go well, we give you glory. And when things don't, We trust you. I ask for your blessing and your help and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.